I want to take as my text this morning from uh, the second reading from First John uh, uh, chapter three, and uh, just the first three verses. First John chapter three, uh, verses one through three, and I'd like to read that again, uh, just so that it's uh, fresh in our mind. First John chapter three, and beginning at verse one, and the apostle John, whose brother was James, they had the same father, Zebedee. They were fishermen in Galilee. But this is what John wrote in this uh, letter of his. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, uh, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he, that is Jesus, when, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure this morning i want to talk about what we are and what we shall be what we are and what we shall be that is what we are now as believers in jesus christ and what we shall be if we're believers in Jesus Christ. It seems to me the Christian life is an exciting thing. It's exciting now, I think, because of all of its promises and even its challenges. It's exciting because of the personal relationship that we have with God through his son, Jesus Christ. God, you know, filling that God-shaped hole that's within us, as Pascal once mentioned. Indeed, uh, John Burke, in his book, Soul Revelation, he says something about this. This is what he wrote. He said, no human being or material thing can ever satisfy our deepest longings because God has hardwired us for himself first. Very interesting. And so the Christian life is exciting now because of the personal relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And it's also exciting uh, because it, it has so very much to do uh, with the future. And this is uh, always the way that it's been with God and his message to us. Indeed, we read even in the Old Testament, uh, that famous uh, verse from uh, Jeremiah's prophecy, Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11, where we read this, God speaking through the prophet to us, to his people. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans that has to do with the future, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And so the message of, of God to us is very much about the future, what we shall be and what we shall experience in the future if we respond to his call and follow in his ways. But before we get to that, John in our text uh, talks about what we are now as believers in Jesus Christ. Indeed, John says, and he's talking to believers in this letter. In fact, in the fifth chapter in verse 13, this is what he writes. He says, I'm writing, to, I'm writing these things to you who believe. And so he's writing to believers uh, like, like ourselves. And John says uh, about us that we are children of God. That's what we are now. Children of God, indeed, notice again, beginning at verse one, he says, and, and behold, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. 
It's an extraordinary thing. Children of God. And so, so we are, he says. He says the reason why the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him, didn't know God, didn't know Christ, God come in the flesh. And then verse 2, and beloved, we are God's children now. And so as believers, uh, we are children of God. That, that is to say, uh, if we stop and think about it, uh, th that we are as born-again believers. Notice the language the, and this, its relationship and its similarity. We're talking about being children of God, born again, uh, is to be God's spiritual offspring, if you like. That is God's spiritual offspring, which, which birth or begetting uh, comes through faith. In fact, John, in his gospel, uh, John wrote the gospel of John, and he wrote these letters of John, as well as uh, the revelation of John at the end of the New Testament. Uh, but this is what he says about uh, that uh, in his gospel, in chapter 1 of his gospel, beginning at verse 10. He's talking about Jesus, the logos, the word. And he says, he, that is Jesus, the word, was he was in the world, and the world was made through him. And yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, that's faith, he gave the right to become children of God. They weren't children of God before, but through faith they become the children of God. Verse 13, uh, who were born, spiritually born who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, like, or the will of man. That is a reference to physical birth by your father and your mother. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And so we're children of God, the offspring of God. But more than that, John says in our text that we're objects of God's extraordinary love. Indeed, notice again verse verse uh, one. He says, "Behold," it's a, that would be in the uh, in the King James. Behold, or as we have it here in the English uh, Standard Version, uh, see. The, the word really means is take notice, pay attention. If you're thinking about something else, stop and and look at this. Is another way we might say it. Look at this. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should that we should be called children of God. Indeed, uh, God's love uh, isn't uh, uh, in any way uh, an ordinary kind of love. In fact, this word, what kind of, is a, is a, it's, a, it's a word that expresses wonder, like, can you believe this? Look at this. What kind of love is this? And God's love isn't uh, in any way uh, like the ordinary kind of love that we might uh, think of or, or, or love like we usually experience uh, in the world, uh, which more often than not is uh, the kind of love that we have to earn with people. People don't just give it, give us, don't just love us or like us. We have to earn it. Uh, indeed, in the world, uh, we, we aren't loved until we prove ourselves to other people. And then whatever it is that uh, might uh, uh, cause them to, to love us uh, if, uh, and earn their love, whatever that might be, if we should ever lose that or stop doing that, what do they do? Well, they, they stop loving us. Uh, but God's love is extraordinary. 
Indeed, God initiates love towards us, and, and that even when we're not worthy of it. He doesn't wait for us to become worthy of it. He initiates love uh, with those who are unworthy of it. And then he never stops loving us, even when we should fail to love him back in the way that he deserves to be loved. In fact, this is the message of the gospel, and it's an extraordinary thing. I think it's quite unique, this level of grace, quite unique to our own faith. Uh, but anyway, a famous uh, uh, verse, or as Paul said famously in, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, uh, he says, and, and God shows his love, or he proves it. He demonstrates it. He, re he reveals his love. And how does he do that? God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. And so uh, when, when, when we least deserved it, God demonstrates his love by doing this extraordinary thing, by sending the Son, and the Son uh, very willingly dies for us, uh, taking, taking upon himself uh, the, what? Uh, the, 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 uh, the holiness of God and the justice. Uh, indeed, uh, no, no law uh, has any power if there is no uh, penalty uh, for, for breaking it. And we are by nature uh, sinners. Uh, we, what does the scripture say in, in this same uh, letter to the Romans in chapter 3? We have all uh, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there's a penalty for that. And the son bears the penalty. And God demonstrates his love toward us that even while we didn't even just seem to want uh, deliverance, he provides the deliverance uh, because he loves us. As Brennan Manning, and I've quoted him, it seems uh, rather frequently and, and recently, uh, several times, but it's just so good. But Manning said, God loves us so much that he was willing to die than live without us. That's an extraordinary kind of love. And closely related to this, John says next that um, we are the recipients of God's amazing grace, as we might call it. Indeed, notice again verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has what? Given to us that we should be called the children of God. It's given. It's not earned. It's given. Uh, indeed, God's love is pure gift. Not a thing that we earn. Uh, God gives it to us as a gift, which is by definition grace. Uh, when we work and we're paid, uh, that's not an issue of grace. Uh, that's an issue of justice. And uh, we've agreed to work for uh, for so much. And when we do our job, we're, we're paid. Uh, and that's an issue of justice. Uh, but 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 grace is gift. It's giving uh, when uh, we don't necessarily deserve it. Uh, it it's just a gift. Uh, Anne Lamott, in, in her great book, uh, Plan B, uh, Further Thoughts on Faith, she wrote this about grace. I, and I think she's right on point. She says, grace means uh, you're in a different universe from where you had been stuck. <laughs> and that's a key word, stuck. She says, grace means uh, you're in a different universe from where you had been stuck when you had absolutely no way to get there on your own. That's grace, pure gift. 
God doing something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. Or as Paul famously wrote when he wrote to the believers at Ephesus in chapter 2 and beginning at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's all grace, but it comes through faith. You believed. That's, that faith is like um, you reaching out and, 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 uh, and receiving the gift that God gives you that uh, we didn't earn uh, or they don't necessarily deserve. <laughs> For by grace have you been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. This has nothing to do with you. Uh, it's the gift of God, he says. Verse 9, not as a result of works, or spiritual things, or religious things, so that no one may boast. Indeed, uh, if you're saved by grace, and that's the only way to be saved, by the way, there's nothing to boast about. That's a, all a bunch of spiritual confusion. Uh, it's all of grace. And so when we serve God, for instance, we don't serve him in order to, to earn his love. Uh, we serve him because we already are loved. And when we're true recipients of grace we, and we understand God's grace, we serve him gladly. He's given us something that we could never give to ourselves. And we serve him with gratitude. Indeed, if we're not serving him, I think we don't understand this. We're kind of like the servant who got himself in all of that debt, and then the king was going to sell him and sell his wife and, and, and sell the kids and sell all his possessions so that, he, that he might get something back. And when you figure out, figure the the amount uh, of the talents which is a, a measurement of uh, precious metal in the in ancient times when you figure out how much he actually owed the king it was it and it was an astronomical amount and yet when the king forgave him and then he went out and he he throttled a friend of his that owed him just a little itty bit certainly a, a small amount compared to all that he was owed and all that he was forgiven uh, when we when we uh, he didn't understand he didn't appreciate the grace that was extended to him and i think when we don't understand that uh, that might be a sign that uh, maybe we haven't received it uh, maybe maybe something spiritual hasn't happened to us uh, and maybe we need to reconsider that or as paul wrote to the to the to the corinthians uh, um, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith, but if we understand that we're saved by grace and we appreciate it, that's that becomes the motivation uh, for our service to him. Now, of course, the grace isn't uh, uh, the way that the world works, uh, nor is God uh, seemingly uh, a, a very welcome figure uh, within with even within the world that he created. Uh, and by and large, God and, and his son seem more uh, an unwanted nuisance in the world than what we might call or describe as a, a benefit and a blessing to be embraced and followed. In fact, John, again, in, in that verse that we, we read and quoted from his gospel in chapter one, just the first two verses again, as he said, he said, and Jesus came into the world and the world was made through him and yet the world didn't know him. The world didn't recognize him. Or appreciate him, understand him. Uh, and he came unto his own and his own people didn't receive him, <laughs> which is really an extraordinary thing. God creates the world and then he comes into the world uh, and the world says, uh, I don't know if we're really interested uh, in you. And so John says, interestingly enough, it, we might not have expected uh, for him to put this verse where he did, but he did uh, in, at the end of verse one. 
he says that uh, those who follow Christ uh, share in this response from the world. Notice again, verse one, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. But then notice this, this uh, second sentence in verse one. And the reason why the world does not know us or understand us, or in some cases worse, uh, maybe uh, persecute in some way, certainly that's happening around the world in many places. The reason why the world does not know us is that they, that they didn't know him. And still notwithstanding that, uh, we are the children of God, we're the objects of, of God's extraordinary love, and we are the recipients of his amazing grace. And we are all of that right now. And then John addresses this subject of what we shall be, what we shall be. And so we move from who we are now to what we shall be as believers in his son, Jesus Christ. Notice again, verses two and three. And beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, that is Christ, when Christ appears, we shall be like him. What an extraordinary thing. We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And then verse three, and everyone who thus hopes in him or who has this hope purifies himself even as he, Christ, is pure. Interestingly enough, John says that uh, it, it isn't actually altogether clear uh, what we shall be. Uh, we know that a change is coming. I mean, that's what he's certainly describing is change in our lives. Uh, and indeed, change begins at conversion. A conversion, I'm referencing a spiritual birth. We're begotten of God, born again. Uh, when God comes into our life and we're born, as John described in the gospel, and as he describes further here in his own letter, but like a human birth, it's the it's the beginning of something, and, and change begins to take place. And in fact, uh, it should be it should change rather rapidly. My, my own daughter, I, I can so very much remember the day she was born, and now she's getting ready to graduate from college. Uh, but the change starts uh, from the very beginning, uh, and and it continues. Uh, change continues in the Christian life as we grow in Christ and, and as we mature and so on. Uh, indeed, change is an integral part of the, of the born-again experience, as Jesus himself referred to it when he was talking to Nicodemus. And then perhaps the most radical change, indeed a sort of an ultimate change, is when Christ returns. Uh, and we shall experience that ultimate transformation, if you like. Uh, 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 but um, uh, uh, what that experience and, and what that radical change will be as we're considering it and as we're thinking of it as a future thing that we haven't uh, experienced just yet uh, isn't exactly clear. But uh, but John says th that there are th there are three things that are clear. So we don't know all about it, but we do know something about it. Uh, and he says that these three things, he says that Christ is coming, so we know that. And he says, and, and we shall see him when he comes, so we know that. And then he says, and when we, when we see him, we shall be like him. Uh, as John says, uh, because we will see him as he truly is. We'll see him the way he really is, not uh, in the way that we might ever have imagined him to be, 
but the way he truly is, which is an exciting thought indeed. And we will be changed, uh, transformed. Uh, we'll be transformed physically. We'll be transformed morally. We'll be transformed spiritually, if you like, uh, affecting total redemption, not just part of redemption, not just part of the salvation that we're experiencing now, but salvation completely in, 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 in all that it is and all that we have ever wanted it to be and all that God has ever meant it to be uh, so that uh, death will no longer be a problem and neither will sin. Interestingly, interestingly enough, this uh, radical and ultimate uh, transformation with Jesus as the prototype. I mean, that's what, what John says. And when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he truly is. And so this radical ultimate change uh, with Jesus as the prototype is a, is a central theme in the New Testament. Indeed, uh, here's just uh, some examples of that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, for instance, and beginning at verse 50, the Apostle Paul wrote this to the Corinthians. He says, I tell you this, brothers or fellow believers, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood as we now have it cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Well, that suggests there needs to be a change, right? Uh, and nor does the imperishable, uh, are the yes or excuse me the perishable inherit what's imperishable uh, so we're dying we're perishing we and uh, as our bodies are now and as we are now we need to be changed in order to inherit the imperishable or the or that which will last everlastingly which is the nature of the kingdom and the point being we have to we need to be changed verse 51 and behold i tell you a mystery uh, we shall not all sleep, that is, we shall not all die, but we all shall be changed. Uh, in a moment, he says, in a moment, uh, in a twinkling of an eye, just immediately at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, those who have died before us, uh, they will be raised, those perishable ones will be raised imperishable and we should be changed. Or first Thessalonians in chapter four, and beginning at verse 16, he says, and notice the similar language, because he's talking about, essentially talking about the same thing. For the Lord himself would descend. That's what John is talking about. He's going to return. And when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he truly is. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of the archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, which which Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 15, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. He's coming to set up his kingdom. We'll go out to meet him and, and join in behind him and come to earth where he'll be setting up his kingdom. And so Paul says, and so we will always be with the Lord. Or Paul writing to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 3 and at verse 20, beginning at verse 20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Oh, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but uh, in a real sense, our life here on earth, uh, we have a connection to it because we're born here and we're, we're earthly and so forth. But our citizenship really is in heaven, is with God. Uh, we're, we're children of God and citizens of heaven. But as you, you read the scriptures and heaven comes down, God comes down and makes his abode with us in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, but he says, our citizenship is in heaven. And, 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 and from it, from heaven, we await a savior. 
he's coming <laughs> the, the lord jesus christ uh, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body i couldn't help by the way when I, when i read this to think about the what, what is paul talking about uh, he says who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body jesus will do that well paul saw that glorious body on the road to damascus when christ the risen christ met him he saw that glorious body so when he talks about changing our our uh, earthly body and making it like christ's uh, glorious body he saw that body <laughs> And so, so we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body, and that by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. It's by divine power. And then lastly, and there's so many, but I'll stop here. Colossians 3 and verse 4. Paul writing to the Colossian believers, he says, and when Christ who is, uh, is your life appears, when he comes, then you also will appear with him in glory. And John says something interesting. He says that that, that confident expectation, that, con that having a confident expectation that Christ is coming and that all of this will happen, has in the person who has that hope and has that expectation a, a powerful spiritual effect even now while we await uh, Christ's coming. Now, of course, uh, if you aren't actually waiting and don't have that, that expectation, that hope, of course it won't have any effect, why would it? Uh, but if you are living with that expectation, that confident expectation, which in the scriptures is what hope is. I mean, we talk about, I hope this happens, I hope that. There is no hope like that in the scriptures. In the scriptures, the hope that comes from God is a, uh, is a uh, a confident expectation of something that absolutely will happen, whether we believe it or not. If God says it's going to happen, it will. Uh, and the effect that that will have on us when we uh, have that hope and we're living according to that confident expectation uh, is significant, uh, John says, uh, uh, and powerful, uh, even life-changing, even making our life like the life of Christ himself. That's exactly what he says. Notice verse three, and everyone who thus hopes in him, the returning Christ, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Couldn't help but to think of something that Paul wrote. I was thinking about this. Uh, not not uh, very long before Paul was actually beheaded by the Romans in Rome. He was incarcerated in Rome and uh, beheaded because he wouldn't stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> but this is what he wrote. Second Timothy chapter four and beginning at verse six. He's writing to his protege, Timothy, and he said, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. It's very interesting. And he's referring to the fact that he's 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 on his way to death and he refers to his death as a as a uh, in Old Testament terms as a and as an expression of worship. Lord, here is my life. I I pour it out for you. He says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure referring to his death has come. And then he, he looks back on his life and he says uh, at verse seven, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have, I have kept the faith. Uh, 
I have, I have, I have held it fast. He says, and then henceforth there is laid up for me or, or, or stored for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, it's a reference to Jesus, the righteous judge will award me on that day. When, I, when he comes and when I see him, he will award it to me on that day. And not only me, he says, but all those who have loved his appearing, all those who have been watching for his appearing. I've long loved something that uh, Dan Allender says in the film, the, the Heart of Man. Dan Allender, he says this, he says, God isn't trying to get us uh, to, to conform. God isn't trying to get us conform to conform. God is inviting us to be radically transformed, not to conform from the outside in, but be, to, be, to be transformed from the inside out. Uh, by the spirit of his son, by the Holy Spirit. And we don't have to wait around till uh, the second coming of Christ to begin to experience this radical transformation. Indeed, this radical transformation is something that we can begin to experience even now, something that you can experience even now, which sounds awfully exciting to me. How about you? what we are now and what we shall be let us pray lord it's so exciting uh, to 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 hear these things to, to to think about how you think about us and we th when we think when we remember the the, the baptism and the transformation uh, the transfiguration and and jesus and and john at the baptism and and peter james and john the apostle who 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 wrote this and whose letter we're considering this morning uh, when when they when they saw uh, your son jesus uh, transfigured and you said this is my beloved son in whom i'm well pleased and to think that we are your children sons and daughters of yours begotten by you spiritually begotten born again by your power and according to your will and that because we're in the son because we're spiritually united with jesus and that you're pleased with us too and yet all of the application that comes from this the, the fact that we're saved by grace and therefore we 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 serve you out of a sense of gratitude uh because we are loved not because we have to earn love and to think that um, the son is coming back and when we see him we shall be like him because we'll see him as he truly is and that when we think about that and that's a dominant theme within our thinking and our and our hearts and our minds that it has this purifying effect indeed when he comes back we we, we want to be ready or as john wrote in in the second chapter of this letter uh, that that we want to live for him so that when he does come back we don't shrink in shame but that we're ready we've been waiting or as paul put it where we love his appearing we're waiting we're watching uh for him that we might experience uh even what shall happen to us when he does and so let these things that we've talked about this morning have their perfect perfect effect in us we pray in jesus name amen